1: Welcome to the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association or JOMA podcast. I'm your host Elisa Minken. I'm a general pediatrician and proud JOMA member and today I'm really really honored and really really excited to be interviewing Eric Cussin. Before I introduce him I'm going to say please if you have comments on this podcast, please reach out to us at health, H-E-A-L-T-H.org. Also, if there's somebody you want to hear, you yourself want to be interviewed, there's a topic you want to hear being covered, please reach out to us. And I'm going to say that today's topic, I think it's again related to mental health. I cover it a lot because it's so incredibly important. But Eric has a revolutionary approach. It's really revolutionary. I think it's really, really important. Um, And I'm really honored to be interviewing him got him um, from a colleague of mine who went to college with him. And that was a really fortuitous, um, in my mind, connection. And I'm really excited. So I'm also gonna give a trigger warning. Um, There are some talk about some very triggering topics, including suicidal ideation. So please, listener discretion is advised. Erica Sin is a magna cum laude graduate of Cornell University and a 20 year professional sports executive who got his start at the NBA league office. After five years with the league, he went the team business route and rose the ranks with the expansion Chicago Sky and then the Phoenix Suns. He later switched over to the NHL working with the New Jersey Devils and Florida Panthers as their chief revenue officer. However, a debilitating mental health crisis stopped his career and life in its tracks for over two and a half years. After many failed treatment modalities, he was lucky enough to learn healing practices that enabled him to dig out of his abyss and found a higher calling launching an organization at the end of 2017 called Hashtag Same Here, the global mental health movement. Hashtag Same Here's alliance is comprised of athletes and celebrities, along with media members, expert practitioners, advocates, and everyday heroes who've come together, rallied around the vulnerability Eric first shared to make talking about mental health a common topic for five out of five of us. You'll see in the talk, he talks about how they say mental illness affects one out of five. And he's like five out of five of us have mental health that varies on a regular basis. Their hashtag same here movement has swept across college campuses in the US from Cornell to USC, K-12's corporate offices from CNBC to United Rentals, professional sports teams from the Golden State Warriors to the New York Mets, and military and first responder groups from the NYPD, to the DoD in just over three years of programming, and that's with COVID getting in the way, okay? The movement has recently begun to expand globally as well with events in markets outside of the U.S. Eric hosts a podcast called We're All a Little Crazy with NHL great Theo Fleury and has launched an app called the Same Here Scale to normalize emotional health monitoring and daily check-ins. To keep his foot in sports, Eric consults for a number of professional sports teams and leagues, guiding their ticket and sponsorship sales and retention efforts. Eric can be reached at eric at samehereglobal.org if you need to email him directly. And the website is samehereglobal.org. They're also on Instagram at samehere__global and Twitter at the same handle, I believe, and also on YouTube and Facebook. And I'm super honored and super excited to be interviewing Eric today on this super important topic. Eric, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. And as we spoke briefly before trying to dispel stigma, trying to talk about mental health, and not even mental illness, but mental health is so incredibly important. And I would like if you could start by telling us how you got into this.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting when you bring up the concept of mental health versus mental illness and the term stigma, I want to go back to both of those, because I think part and parcel, the, the differentiation between the two, the way that we use the two, Uh, And then the concept of stigma and whether or not continuously perpetuating our desire to get rid of it is actually helping us or hurting us. Um, And and these are things I didn't come to realize until uh, getting into this space, which to your question was not something that was on my radar screen. Uh, So I I worked in professional sports my whole career. Mental health was not something I thought applied to me. It's not that I was one of those people who damned other people who claimed they had mental health complications. And I'm using the term claim and air quotes. Um, I was not something where I was afraid to talk about it. It was just, oh, okay, well, that's the health of some other people. That's not me. I need to focus on things like running stadium stairs and getting my heart in good shape and you know, other health conditions, the physical health that my family members had and I need to look out for. So I, uh, you know, I started at the NBA league office. I worked for a number of NBA teams: Chicago Bulls, Phoenix Suns. Then I came back East Coast and worked for the New Jersey Devils in the NHL. And I was then chief revenue officer with the Florida Panthers. Thirty-four years old, top of the world, single guy living in South Beach, making more money I'd ever made before in my life. No state income tax. What could be bad, right? And you know, we talk in this space a lot about the masks that we wear. I wasn't wearing a mask. I didn't think that I felt bad at all. If you had given me truth serum, the smiles you saw on my face back from them, this is now December of 2014, to give some historical perspective of when it happened. Um, seeing the pictures, seeing the, the interactions I was having, this was this was where I wanted to be. And what started to develop about, you know, January of 2015, I started to lose interest in things outside of work. And I didn't know, you know, why I, I, four in particular, I kind of point to, and everyone's got their different things that they enjoy doing outside of their daily work routine. So for me, first hanging out with my friends and being social and going out for dinner or for drinks afterwards, I don't have a desire or interest. I'm telling my friends, you guys go out. I'll meet you another night. I will I just got to catch up on sleep and eventually I'll feel better and want to go out and meet you. But right now I'm just going to shut it down after work. Second thing, going to the gym and working out. I'm a competitive guy. I love getting in the gym and throwing weights around ever since I played sports. I just, I don't have the energy for it. So I'm coming home and I'm leaning my leg against the arm of the couch and falling over on the couch and passing out and waking up at two in the morning and then going to the bed and sleeping the rest of the night away. On top of that, watching my teams on TV, no interest in that, not even turning the TV on, not checking the scores, not looking at the box scores and online or on Twitter or in any of the other social media channels. And then playing in my own leagues was the other thing, like being competitive, even though it's not high level competition anymore you know, the weekend warrior playing on weekends, just I, I'm, my friends are playing in leagues and I'm not even joining them. And, you know, I think so many people can probably relate to that as they hear that, whatever your job is, right. You, you love being an accountant, a lawyer, a doctor, a, a, a teacher, you, you go to the well every single day on something that gives you that, gives you that dopamine hit. And so for me, it was being Eric, the sports executive. That's what I love. And I, okay, my my job is what's clicking for me. I'm still loving going into the office. So this must be the world's way of telling me this is the way I justified it, that my job is that important to me and that I'm one step away from my dream job of being a team president. So if I'm chief revenue officer right now, I just got to grin and bear and put my nose to the ground. And this is, this is the way the world's telling me to tunnel vision and focus even more on it. And that was obviously an excuse, uh, looking back on it, but I didn't know it was an excuse at the time. And so I'm getting in at 6.30 in the morning instead of 7. I'm leaving at 11.30 at night instead of 10. And I'm staying there longer, putting more hours in, because it's the only thing that is clicking for me, the only thing that's registering, until I wake up one morning and it was like I was pushing myself out of quicksand to get out of bed. Uh, like I was walking with cinder blocks on my feet to get over to my closet, open my closet door. It looks like a bomb has gone off. Like I uh, you know, had nothing organized in there, even though everything was in its proper place. I couldn't make out. Should I wear a t-shirt? Should I wear a button down? Should I wear slack? Should I wear jeans? What belt color goes with what shoes? None of that was registering for me. And I did what I think a lot of people do when our brain starts to go in a tangent in a direction we don't like it I tested myself right it's probably the worst thing you can do but you don't know it because you want to fix things when things don't feel right and so I picked up this picture that I had of my two nieces I have four now but at the time I had two and I Rebecca and Kaylee okay they're two most important little people in the world to me and I test myself to remember their middle names and I can't remember their middle names so you can imagine how that freaks you out something that's so top of mind and you're testing yourself to see if there's this recall because being able to put an outfit together is difficult for you so you're going okay let me do something simple and it doesn't doesn't register so you know they they call it white knuckle it like you clench your fists and you're just like i'm just gonna get into the office i didn't shower that day for sure i get in i sit at the desk you know, Some of the folks who are 30 years of age and older who listen to this podcast will will understand this reference. When I do it in schools, they don't know what I'm talking about. But I sat at my computer, and we see emails as straight lines always on our computer, Outlook or Gmail or Lotus Notes or whatever it is. And the emails look like light brights to me. That's why I said, you know, you got to be 30 or older to know that reference things are just sparkling. I can't make out words on Yeah, Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like I think it's making a comeback, but, but you know, it's not, I have them.
1: Yeah.
2: Okay. So that's going on. I'm looking at my staff, who's usually I think of them in segments, group sales, season ticket sales, single game sales, service partnership sales. And it looks like grand central station. It feels like everyone's moving hundred miles a minute almost like you see in a movie when they, you know, speed up the, uh, the film. And I knew I had to get through that day because that night I had to give a presentation we would do in sports. We would do these presentations, whether it's in basketball, you do it at halftime and hockey, you do it between the first and second period or the second, third period where you have prospects come to a suite, you know, you entertain them by bringing the food, the drinks, and then you sell them on why they should be members of the team season ticket holders or corporate partners and why they should invest and looking back at it now you know it's it's some eight years later i'm able to recall what i would have said back then had my mind been straight like i remember who all the draft picks were jonathan huberdo and alexander barkov i remember our goalie was a hall of famer and roberta luonga i remember our owners investing in the team and bringing you know a solid base into the community and all these you know buzzwords and touch points that would normally come straight to mind that's your role as a chief revenue officer is to cite people up that your reps are bringing in to make it easier on them to have transactions happen and I get up there and I don't think I've ever quit anything before in my life. I still don't think I quit anything looking back on this, but certainly something health related is I get up there. There's 50 people staring at me between the first and second period. And I read off an index card because I was so scared that I couldn't remember anything at the time. Hi, my name is Eric Houston. I'm the chief revenue officer with the Florida Panthers. And my brain just goes dark black and I go, this is Matt, our team president. He's going to take it from here, like almost instinctively. And I just walk out of the suite. So imagine someone who's used to presenting. I've had to present in front of NBA players my whole life and NBA executives. And here I am and nothing is coming to mind. So I go back to my office, game ends. And our owner, Vinny Viola, who's still the owner of the team, he's a West Point grad. So military guy comes in. It's like, Eric, I could tell something's up. I'm not trying to call you out. I want to be supportive. Um, how can I help you? What do I need to do for you? I want you to know you could take as much time as you need—one month, two months, three months—come back, hit the ground running. And when I heard three months, who's not going to get better in three months? That was that was what went through my mind. As messed up as my brain feels, three months is an eternity. And then you know you you run a, a health podcast, right? So. Think about this for a second, anyone who's thinking about the comparison between physical and mental health. When we're younger and we get sick with streptobronchitis and pneumonia, the three most common things we get sick with, okay, flu, but trying to use the one where we have infections, we take this thing called an antibiotic and we feel better, right? Whether some people don't love it because it messes up the, the gut biome. If you need something that's a quick fix, it works for you, right? And your parents say, curl up in a blanket, eat chicken noodle soup, uh, you know, drink tea and, and and watch your favorite movie and you're going to get better. So when your brain's not working, okay, you think about the worst case scenarios. Do I have a brain tumor? Did I have a traumatic brain injury from the time I was a child that's now just manifesting from all these sports that I played? Um, or is it this thing called mental health, which in 2015 knew nothing about? Um, so So you're thinking about, well, okay, if it's this thing called mental health, Medications have helped me before. And what's the only education I have on mental health? What I've seen on TV with commercials. And the commercials show for 15 seconds a gray cloud over a sad face with brain coming down and you wearing a heavy coat that you can't move around in. And then all of a sudden, 15 seconds in, the clouds go away, the sky is blue, the birds are chirping, the music's nice, the coat's gone. There's nothing weighing you down, and you're unencumbered, and you go back to your life.
1: Magic, pill. Think- Magic pill. Magic
2: pill. Yeah. And I just think it would be that easy, right? Because you read, you know, I, I listen to like the little, oh, you could have these side effects, blah, 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 right at the end. So I'm I've heard those and I'm thinking, okay, but three months, I can try three different courses of drugs. That's a lot of time to get better, as messed up as my brain feels. I'll find the right combination in three different attempts at this. So I go home to New York, leave all my stuff down in Florida thinking I'll come back for it. I was agoraphobic. I, I mean, you talk about it felt like going outside felt like my kryptonite. I don't remember how I got even on that plane, and I just kept to myself. Go lay down in my bed. Meet with the first psychopharmacologist I meet with on my first appointment, and I'm prescribed five different medications, being told that I have a oh, depression on top of, of anxiety, anxiety, and I need heavy artillery for it to be knocked out of me. Oh. So you know, when people have, well, how'd you get five? Well, okay. You get the SSRI that they tell you that you need. They get the booster to the SSRI, like an Ibilifier or XLD. They have an off-label drug that they say works as a, you know, an addenda, an additional booster, right? Like an amenda, uh, which is, which is a, a Alzheimer's drug. There's the, the benzodiazepine, right? And then there's one other, I forget exactly what they added to it, but Yeah, like they're giving you the explanation for why each of these five, in combination with one or one other, are
1: needed. Wait, they started five medications at the same time. Same time, same time. And this was not a psychiatrist. You said a psychopharmacologist. Psychopharmacologist.
2: So I had, you know, this is this is this is look. The reason when we get to my organization, why I started an organization is, if someone's dealing with a mental health challenge, where do you start? Mm -hmm. Okay. So does someone go to their general practitioner? Does someone go to a psychologist? Does someone go to a psychiatrist? Does someone think I need to go to the hospital because my suicidal thoughts uh, as part of my mental health challenges are so extreme that I need to be watched for the next 24 hours? and I need to be regulated. You know, I'm using all the terms in the industry um, based on what medications I need to take. Um, Do I go to residential treatment center? There is no game plan for where the right starting point is, right? So when I'm as... Let's call it messed up as I feel coming home from Florida where I've had weeks now, multiple, where I can't move and I feel paralyzed in my brain and my brain has gone dark and I can't put sentences together. I can't look people in the eyes, you know, some more detail what it's like living at that time period. My parents like tested me order something off the menu, call it in. I couldn't remember what I wanted or what my parents wanted to be able to have the conversation with the person on the phone. Like that's how turned off my brain felt. And, you know, for people who haven't experienced that before, I don't look at it as an us and them. We're going to get into that language. I just look at it as I was at a further end on the spectrum than other people may have gotten to. Everyone's had anxious feelings and thoughts where, the brain doesn't click the way that it has before, and in the moment you can't capture what you want to share, and your brain feels like it's paralyzed. Imagine having that continuously at a very extreme level, right? So it's just different levels of it. So, so you know, to, I just to want to say something your...
1: for just one minute, though. I just want to say something for yeah. one minute, though. Is that one of the problems with problems with your mental health, you know, which is really mental illness? Like you said, it's on a spectrum. Is that you can't see it?
2: You can't see it, and People look at me and they go six, four athletic looking enough guy who worked out enough beforehand that I hadn't in my sedentary ways from how I've been feeling gotten too badly out of shape, probably stayed in decent shape because the anxiousness was at such a level that my sympathetic nervous system was turned on so high that even with either the slowdown of my metabolism, because I wasn't eating as frequently as I did before, or the sedentary way I was living, it wasn't affecting my weight. It was probably affecting it in a way where people are looking at it saying, You look even healthier because you usually carry around an extra 10 pounds and now you're 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 back to like your playing weight size. Right, right. right. You
1: could have lost weight out of illness and yeah. you look amazing.
2: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so so back to your question though, of why psychopharmacologists look, you go to your general practitioner and they go, yeah, you're really in it right now. Like my recommendation is I've got a specialist who specializes in finding the right mix of medications to really pop you out of this. Since you asked the question, I'll go into detail on. it. I mean, different thing. I I you know, I this is something I could talk about for 24 hours straight. So, I don't want to bore people with too much of the details, but since you asked about it, I got into his office major hospital. I'll, I'll spare the name of the hospital as I do in a lot of these times of retelling Um, the stories, but I get into his office in the hospital and I'm given a sheet of paper, well, packet of paper to fill out with a pencil, zero to 10. How much do I agree with these statements? Things like, I don't want to be here anymore. Life isn't worth living. Right. And I fill that out. It takes me 10, 15 minutes to fill it out. And when I come into his office, he spends the first 10 minutes just with a pencil, adding up the numbers. Like, and and this might be an indictment on the medical community but it's like you couldn't just like feed it through a scantron or have someone else on your staff add it up like you know spending- we don't
1: we don't have people to do this i do it myself right,
2: right. so 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 he's adding i, mean, I don't do it up. in front
1: of the patient though
2: you don't do it in front of the patient right no. so he's doing what? it in front of me okay and and mm-hmm. you need heavy artillery to knock right. it out of your system so um so that's where i started on the five drugs now My next two and a half years of my life from 2015, early on in the year, January, through the middle August of 2017, I laid in a bed, stared at the ceiling, did not watch TV, did not listen to podcasts. I would text my friends back just saying alive, um, waiting for 52 different combinations of psychotropic drugs to kick in and work for me. And this this for people... all
1: with just one professional the psychopharmacologist
2: no, nope. no. so so it was about four different psychopharmacologists they were all the same type of doctor but after you know three months of it not working uh i've got this great one for you right a family friend or you know someone else in the medical community that we were connected with you gotta try my my doctor friend so and so so i went everywhere from you know long island to manhattan to connecticut like drove two hours to go meet someone who I was told is the guru the commonality in all of them was there was a whiteboard and here's the SSRIs you tried the SNRIs the MAOIs and the tricyclics oh. and they were xing out what what I tried on each of them like I was a dartboard guinea pig,
1: yeah,
2: and a guinea pig but at the time I'm not using that terminology why because I don't know that there's anything else to heal mm-hmm. me and to and to and to use to work on. So I'm thinking, as the athletic sports guy, when my coach told me in the past, run stadium stairs, do bench press, do squats, do plyometric box jumping. That's all different versions of the same thing, working out. So what's the different versions of getting my brain back together? Trying different medications, right? We we're sold on this idea that there's a chemical imbalance, right. and that that's what's wrong with you. So. If Shoot me up with whatever drugs you need to shoot me up with. So I was the perfect candidate to be a customer, essentially, and to try to find the right medication. So, okay, that doesn't work. I'm then told to do TMS therapy by by the fourth uh, specialist I was with.
1: I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt you again. All this time, you weren't doing any kind of therapy, just the medication? I was doing talk
2: therapy. Talk therapy, okay. So I was doing talk therapy. So now- What's interesting about the concept of talk therapy, which we could certainly get into, whether I believe that's helpful or not, even when, like, I went in for talk therapy, there were times where my sympathetic response was at such a heightened place, the doctor looked at me and said, Eric, you can't even engage in talk therapy right now. Like, so, so. When you think about we already have a dearth of practitioners out there, mm-hmm. then add on to it, the ones who are only trained in this concept of talk therapy and don't have other tools in their toolbox. How are they helping you to get better if you feel like you're even more messed up when you look at them across the the room and they're sitting in one chair and you're incapable of us having a session right now?
1: Right. That's I want to underscore what you just said a second ago that, that it's really, really important, especially since COVID is just getting a person to be with you in the mental yeah. health space is a huge ordeal. There are wait lists. It's just, it's there's wait
2: the, the, I mean, the last practice pressure. I sent someone to is charging $750 every 45 minutes because the demand is there so they can charge whatever they want. It's it's now, and, and, right. and, that, and that's another
1: thing, just to underscore for just a second, though, that if you don't have money, yeah it, it's unreal there's no mental health parity that's a huge right. thing what are you going to do if you don't have the money to pay for it every other medical condition you have you have insurance not for this
2: yep it's 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 awful we'll we'll get into hopefully yeah, ways. think we're solving that but yeah. so so you know i'm 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 told to do tms therapy where tms stands for transcranial magnetic stimulation they put a helmet on your head and they shoot electromagnetic waves into your brain. They have this thing called the motor threshold where your thumb jumps, and they feel like they know that they're hitting the right spot in your brain. And if you want a simplified understanding of it for people who are listening, it's essentially trying to get the neurons firing again. (laughs) So it's like a hard restart to your computer. And I do 23 sessions of that 23 days in a row. You want to talk about insurance not covering it, at least at the time. And so $350 a session, no insurance. Good luck to my savings at that point, right? So, so I'm doing that, but because I'm told this is going to fix me, right? And we're always looking for what's the thing that gets done to us. And, and 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 I can't take credit for this, but someone who works on our alliance, he says it's like in mental health, where Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz, we're trying to find the wizard. We have the the ruby red slippers on the whole time. We just don't know that that's our path back to Kansas, right? So. So I'm looking for the Wizard of Oz because I don't know any better. And so 23 sessions in 23 days in a row, it's four o'clock in the morning on the morning of the 24th. And I'm, I'm showing you my hands. I'm sitting on my hands like this because this thought starts playing in my mind. It wasn't a hallucination. It wasn't a voice that I was hearing. It was a thought. Swallow that bottle of pills, swallow that bottle of pills, swallow that bottle of pills. I couldn't get that thought out of my head. And for anyone who's hearing that, you either recognize it or I'll tell you what it is. That's a suicidal ideation. And people think, you know, we just lost DJ Twitch as an example. Mm -hmm. Um, They had a smile on their face. They were dancing. So often, unfortunately, suicide gets placed in this category of choice. Why did that person choose that? Hopefully, my story helps illuminate, and this is what I do when I go into schools, that I wasn't choosing anything. That thought was choosing me. I didn't know where it was coming from. I ended up learning as we go through the rest of the story where it came from, but it came over me. And now an object like a bottle of pills that I used to see as something you take once a day that helps you is now seeming like a weapon to me. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, my mind is saying, swallow, swallow, swallow it. I have another part of my brain. Fortunately, my Prefrontal cortex that's fighting this error message that's playing over and over again in my mind. And my prefrontal cortex is going, What are you doing? You don't want that. Why is that happening? And that's the reason why I was able to sit on my hands. Was able to ask my family, like, you got to get me help. You got to take me somewhere. I go inpatient, again, without mentioning the name of a hospital, to one of the top treatment facility centers in the Northeast. And I meet with the attending psychiatrist, and she has. Her top doctor plaque's on the wall. She's Harvard med school grad. And she looks at my chart. She says two words that changed my life at the time, not much for the better, but in the long run for the better. She says, Eric, you've tried everything there is your last resort. So uses those two words is to do ECT, electroconvulsive therapy or shock therapy. So when you hear last resort, you've tried these 52 different drugs. You've done the TMS therapy you see that there's this progression in this game plan of let's try on all these things, then the sci-fi stuff, then the extreme sci-fi stuff. And that's the only thing we're sorry. And and you could confirm or deny this. I, I go in after watching the videos on um, ECT, which we commoners know as shock therapy. And I, I get into the room for the first time. I'm wheelchaired in I get laid down on a hospital bed. They put a a blood pressure uh, monitor on my ankle. They get my arm ready to put propofol in so I can be put under general anesthesia, an oxygen mask on my my face so that I can breathe. And then they put the electrodes on my brain that once I go under for the general anesthesia, they're going to shock my brain into seizure to hope again for a hard restart. And so I ask not the attending psychiatrist that I was speaking to with the top doctor plex but the one who was administering the ECT. I remember it, it's just so interesting thinking how messed up my brain was that I didn't know to ask this question beforehand. So like with the oxygen mask on, I turned to the guy who's about to administer and I go, how does this work exactly? <laughs> so it's like just interesting to think that like, I've, I've gotten to this point. I haven't even asked. And he's like, Eric, you know, we don't really know. Right. So like, Oh, great. So he tells me this story about how it was a procedure that was meant for epileptic patients and that the goal was, I believe it was in the seventies that they tried it. We're going to induce seizure under general anesthesia and reverse the seizures that they're having when they're awake. And that didn't work for the epileptic patients. But what did happen was there was a large enough sample size that enough people reported a lift in mood is what they described it that now they use it as a last resort treatment for mental health. And I, I guess my brain was working enough at the time to be thinking like, so there's really no formal study, like a lift in mood is someone just saying like on the happiness scale, I went from a four to a six. <laughs> like, no, sure, I,
1: I don't know of it, but I'm sure there's research on it. Not, not that I know of as a pediatrician, yes. but I'm sure. And, there and I'm being facetious, right? <laughs> yeah. but, like,
2: but, but, but the fact that it's a considered a last resort, I don't think that's a term anyone in medicine should be using or right. hearing, right? right? For sure. So especially as we roll out the rest of the story and I tell you what 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 I learned about healing. So so I I do the 12 sessions over 5 weeks and I leave the hospital feeling no better than I had the two and a half years prior, essentially thinking my life is over because I've been told I'm treatment resistant, I've tried all the meds, tried the TMS, tried the shock therapy, none of it's working. With this being an orthodox podcast, you guys will like this piece of it. I go home in bed. Three days later, my parents, their former educators, mother is a language teacher, father's a principal. Well, they go to these continuing education courses all the time at their temple. So they go to this one course being taught by one of the congregants at the temple. And the name of the course is Integrative Breathing Practices. Mm. I'd never heard the term integrative before. And didn't know, didn't had, had never done a breathing practice before, surely. So I don't think much of it. My mom runs back from the class at night, nine o'clock, right on the dot. Eric, we met this Dr. Donna. She's in our temple. She treats differently than all these other doctors. She's a psychologist, but it's not talk therapy. We can't really explain what it is. Please go see her. Please go see her. So three days later from that, I'm sitting on her couch. And for everyone who's been to a mental health appointment, you can recognize this, is I was expecting, even though my parents said it's different, the cadence and the chronology of the questions to be the same they would always been. And there was always three segments to every appointment I've been to. Hi, Eric, nice to meet you. What are your symptoms? And you list your symptoms. Okay, based on your symptoms, Eric, here's your diagnosis with segment two. And the diagnoses I got when you were telling me some of the past um, episodes you've had, I was diagnosed with everything from melancholic depression to anadonic depression, to PTSD, OCD, CPTSD, ADD, ADHD, uh, agoraphobia, right? All these different labels. And then that was segment two. And then, okay, based on your label, the reason I was tried on the 52 different drugs is because what drug fixes that label, right? So that was the formula that I was used to. I didn't know what she was going to do. So I go in there expecting similar with a slight tweak, And the appointment couldn't have been any different. She said, Eric, the couch is your stage. I'm your audience, single person audience. I don't want to ask you a lot of questions and pepper you with questions. So I'm going to ask you one. What is the story of Eric's life? Catch me up. Wait,
1: wait, 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 just one second.
2: Weren't you going through what you call talk therapy? I was going through talk therapy, but let's talk about what talk therapy is, right? Talk therapy oftentimes is let's start from the beginning tell me about childhood and tell me about something difficult you went through. What's the relationship with your mother. Right. Um, That's important. Right. So, so, so think about the questions that get asked, right. What's bothering you. Okay. Even if that, if you want to start in a broad way, tell me what's, she didn't do the what's bothering you. She didn't do the, tell me about the relationship with, she didn't do the, where did this all begin what symptoms started when? None of that. So, so what I was used to traditional talk therapy, that's gone. I appreciate you asking that question. Wow. I think what disarmed me, and this is a psychoanalytical tool in and of itself, is she said, "I want to hear the story of your
1: life." Right. She gave you and, full reins. She gave you full reins. You tell your story. I'm not going to direct story
0: you.
2: And your story wow. may come about. You're a star athlete, or you were you know, a scholar athlete award winner, or you play basketball in college all the way to, you know, not my case, but i you lost an uncle at a young age and a right. tore you apart, right? It could be anywhere in between. But the fascinating thing about that is whether it's traditional talk therapy or the way we talk to each other as friends, we never do that. It's, Hey doc, what time's my appointment? Hey, do you want to get lunch? Hey, have you finished your homework? It's always in the moment segments of what's happening. We don't do big picture takes and then see what story we're telling about ourselves in the aggregate. Right. So what comes out of me now, which will take me three minutes to tell you, but at the time took me 50 minutes. Oh, you remember a couple of, you know, memories at five years old, going to Disney world, right. You're going over those and you're trying to like, especially at a time when I was struggling for memories And they say, well, you know that I'm eight years old, and then this is what pours out of me. Eight years old, I'm the middle of three boys, we're a sports craze family, and my older brother is four years older than me. He breaks his femur bone in an accident and put into a body cast for a year and homeschooled. Heals from that and gets diagnosed with ALL, children's form of leukemia. So late 80s, early 90s, not the best prognosis for, even though doing much better with the drugs now, back then, That was very tenuous. We didn't know what the outcome would be. Five years of the chemo and radiation goes into remission. So we're all celebrating. A month later, he's in a Jeep Wrangler with his friends, open top, no seatbelt in the back, doing what kids do, trying to distract the cars behind them, driving only with their permit, flies out of the back on the Meadowbrook Parkway, lands on his head, cracks his head open, loses partial vision in his eyes. Heals from that, goes to college. Feeling a pain in his knee, blood tests come back, same cancer from childhood return. And now that the same cancer return, they have to give him a stronger dose of the same chemo meds they were giving him before, which is doing a great job early on in knocking out the cancer cells. But what we know about chemo is it's not so well targeted, especially back then, it's attacking a lot of the healthy cells. And you're seeing his body break down, he's hunched over, and his joints hurt, and he can't move as well going to law school at this time, while this is happening, I'm in up at Cornell up in college, and I get a call from my parents, come back and meet us at LIJ. Okay, if you want to use some old school Jewish language, you remember Mm -hmm. Long Island, and I, I drive the four hours back, meet them there. We meet with the neurologist, sits us down. Todd's gone into septic shock, 105 fever, um, he's gone into a coma from that, and we don't know if he's gonna wake and if he's gonna wake, if he has any brain activity. So you guys can make a decision as a family: do you want the tubes breathing for him? And for how long? We just can't uh guarantee any outcomes. And so we do that for three months. Parents living at Ronald McDonald House by the hospital. I'm coming back and forth from college, miraculously wakes, full cognitive faculties about him, asks who won the World Series before he uh, uh, went under but his kidneys fail from the rigor of the septic shock. So he needs to go on dialysis. We all get tested to see who's the closest match. My father is, donates a kidney to him. That all ends. And I get that job at the league office. Three of my close friends, 22 and 23 years old, unrelated to one another, as you hear the outcome, pass away of either misdiagnosed or undiagnosed heart condition. So one guy running on a treadmill collapses. One guy walking with heavy boxes up a flight of stairs. So I give that, when I tell the story, I give that level of detail because I think in the mental health sphere, if we don't share what happened to you, we are losing the narrative. When we share CPTSD, depression, anxiety, we're leading with the label and then people don't like to relate to labels. And so they go, that's not me. Okay. We'll talk more about that. So so I share the reasons because I said it took me 50 minutes. The last 10 minutes, my doctor said she wouldn't ask me other questions. She stopped and said, I'm sorry, I promised you I wouldn't. But what else happened to you as a child and young adult that impacted your mental health that I need to know about? Now, this is 2017. I know nothing about mental health other than I said, Donna, I've been laying in bed for the last two and a half years with all these different labels for chemical imbalances, taking all these meds. What does what I just told you about my life, you just asked me to tell you about my life between the ages of eight and 23 have anything to do with why I'm laying here at 35, <laughs> unable to get out of bed and work. Like, I don't understand the connection. And so she gives me this analogy, which I think is phenomenal in terms of the visual. And I use it when I, when I share it is, if I had a front row seat when I was a NBA executive, wearing a suit, entertaining clients, and these seven foot athletes are running up and down the court and sweating when they run up and down and the sweats flying off and hitting my suit or the ball goes out of bounds and they land on me trying to get the loose ball. My suit gets sweaty. I go home that night after three hours, put my suit away for the dry cleaner, take a shower, put a new suit on the next day, nice and clean. Like the sweat didn't happen from the night before. She said, you had a front row seat, but it was for the game of life instead of an NBA basketball game. And the game of life was represented by a muddy wrestling ring in front of you. And then another muddy wrestling ring right next to that one. One your brother was in, one your friends were in. And every move they made to stay alive, the mud from splattering was hitting you in the front row and hitting you in the front row. You actually had negative coping mechanisms because you were so adept at things like playing your own sports, getting involved in sports business and being able to focus on that that the equivalent of that was like looking at the jumbotron in the arena, looking at the LED lights, watching the fans, hearing the music. You never paid attention to that mud that was splattering on you. You knew that your brother was in the wrestling match, but you didn't notice the mud that was hitting you. And the biggest difference between this game of life and the NBA game is you didn't just stay there for three hours, three days, three weeks, three months, three years, 30 years. 35 years you've been sitting in the same seat as this mud has been caking up on you. And it got so heavy to the point where you didn't even need to try to stand up one more time. Your body just fell to the floor from how heavy it was. She said that, Eric, is stress and trauma. That's the brain-body connection. That's what builds up in your system over time. And I got I got angry at that point because I said, if that's what mental health is, just having a front row seat to watch things happen to other people in our lives, take me out of the equation at 35, take the average 15-year-old. Watching things happen to other people in their lives. Okay, watching your parents get into fights and get a divorce. Watching your parents lose their job and lose the house. Watching your two best friends' friendship dissolve and then never talk to each other again and feeling the awkwardness of the two of them in the room. Watching your best friend deal with being bullied in front of you or being bullied online or being verbally abused by an adult or a friend coming up to you and telling you, confiding in you they're being sexually abused or your friend dealing with the sickness of a loved one or a loss of a loved one, or your parent dealing with caring for a sick parent who's unfortunately terminally ill. It's like, I don't know a 15-year-old, let alone a 35-year-old, 55-year-old, 85-year-old who doesn't deal with one, some, or many of those things. If that's what mental health is, there's not a person on this planet whose mental health has been impacted. And you, as a society, like and this industry, perpetuates that this is a topic for people with mental illness. And I was like, that's not what I'm taking from what you're telling me. Because if that was the case, I'd have been running, you know, uh, brain exercises instead of stadium stairs this whole time. And no one told me to do that, right. And as you could tell, I get passionate about it. So landing the plane on the story. She sends me to a weekend breathing course. I'm the only man, only one under 40, only one born in this country. So it's me and eight Indian women and nine <laughs> yoga mats, Okay. I'm <laughs> a fish out of water, like sitting there with a like, cut sleeve basketball t-shirt and shorts and like, they're all in their traditional garb and stuff like that. But I, but I love these women because they're teaching me about the vagus nerve. They're teaching me about the amygdala. They're teaching me about how slowing down And doing this rhythmic breathing pattern starts to normalize the central nervous system. 30 days in, I'll use Hanukkah as a reference. It's like the first night of Hanukkah. I wake up and I look at my controller and I'm like, I want to turn the TV on. This is the greatest feeling in the world. And then the other thought that came over me was I want scrambled eggs for breakfast, right? So two things that I had not thought about, a desire came back to me and it felt like that Hanukkah morning, like you're getting this gift. And so I went to the largest, now now we'll get into the nitty gritty of, you know, the, the messaging. I went to the largest nonprofits in, in our country, in our world for mental health. Now and Mental Health American, Bring Change to Mind, Active Minds, Jed Foundation. My thought at the time was, I have sports contacts, people who have large platforms. I will give my sports contacts to any one of these organizations who are talking about it in this way that I just came to understand it. I'll go back into working in pro sports and I'll leave this space. I did my debt to society of being in hell for two and a half years. And and I'll go back and I'll do the sports thing I built up for. And I go to all these websites and I see three things. This is in 2017 that are all the same. And you think consistency is good when you're trying to get a message out there. They're the same messages that they are now in 2023, some five and a half years later. And they're three messages that actually move us back instead of bringing us forward, okay? What are those three messages? First, one in five people are mentally ill. Seen stat that has been perpetuated for over a decade now, though I was seeing it in 2017, so only five years ago. What does that stat one in five do? They think it normalizes it. Oh, 20% of people is a lot of people. No, that makes it the us and them. When I get into a room, I've done enough of these presentations. When I ask people, if you're not in the one in five category, what are you? Here's the four terms. Healthy, fine, normal, okay. So we've got a society that believes you're either mentally ill with this disorder, one of these labels, or you don't fit in that category. What that does during Mental Health Awareness Month is it makes us say, let those people talk. We'll be nice to them during that month. Okay, so that's- We'll be
1: aware, we'll be sorry.
2: We'll be sorry. Yeah. So then you use the term stigma early, right? And stigma exists. So you can't deny that stigma exists. However- Stigma should not be in our campaigns. What do I mean by that? Well, it started with NAMI had stopped the stigma, and then everyone else rallied around that stopped the stigma, break the stigma, erase the right. stigma. Baseball has strikeout. Hockey has slap. Football has kicked the stigma. The term stigma means that human beings are forming unfair opinions and judgments about other human beings have we not lived in a political environment long enough to know that when you tell people to say stop something and they're in another group from you, even if you're saying it to the ether and you're just throwing it out there, the stigma's formed by human beings. Someone is receiving that message. And when they say stop, stop, break and slap, it means I'm going to slap you or I want you to stop because you're the one who's doing it to me the poor group of people that are the advocates because we're the ones going through it. That doesn't make this binary topic, be one that comes together. It rips us further apart. Okay. Then the third and final one that I noticed was the way celebrities stories were shared. You're not alone. Britney Spears goes through it too. She has depression. She's part of the one in five. Lindsay Lohan has it too. She's part of the one in five. She's got anxiety. And then they would link to an us weekly or people magazine article Britney Spears has depression, shades her head. Lindsay Lohan has anxiety, dresses like a hot mess. So now add these three things up. It's for one in five people. We need to stop stigmatizing that poor group. Let them talk in May's Mental Health Awareness Month and not judge them. And if you want to know if you're in the group, do you run off the basketball court and panic attacks like Kevin Love you shave your head like Britney Spears and you say crazy things about your family, be anti-Semitic and think you could run for president like Kanye West. How many people are going, raise my hand. I want to be part of that. group, Right. It doesn't exist. And the more celebrity stories that are shared, that our whole industry is patting themselves on the back. Oh, another person came out with their anxiety story. Another person came out with their depression story. That doesn't normalize. That solidifies the same erroneous messages that already exist. So the only thing that normalizes this space and the reason why the name of the organization is same here, an American Sign Language sign, I'm pointing my thumb at my chest and I'm pointing my pinky out at you, is doctor, you and I were the same. And I don't know much of your personal story, but I know that as a human being, you've been through challenging life events and those challenging life events have impacted your mental health. That's the common thread. That's 8 billion people. That's a tribe that everyone is already a member of. They just don't know it yet. And that's the message we need to keep putting through the divorces, the breakups, the job losses. So the organization that we formed was getting people on the celebrity and let's just call it influential platform side of things to share what they'd been through, not their label. And then on the other side to get integrative practitioners, inventors of havening and tapping and EMDR and brain spotting and ART therapy and all these things that are modalities Back to your question about talk therapy that people could have been giving me when I was going into these appointments, had they been trained in them, that are mind-body exercises that could have gotten me to a better place where, okay, if I don't have the ability to talk, what can I do right now that starts to lower my sympathetic response, that starts to release and rewire out some of the trauma that exists in my body, the way that we see animals be able to tremor. Uh, trauma out of their system. And so that became the formation for the organization, working with schools and offices and colleges and sports teams and service departments and creating this movement around storytelling and normalization of practices, where we call the practices STAR, stress and trauma, active releasing and rewiring, or a gym for the brain. And let's get people into the funnel through the storytelling, seeing. That we collect people. This is you're a part of our tribe. You're a part of our group. We make it inclusive as opposed to exclusive. Sorry, you haven't been diagnosed with these five symptoms of this list or twenty or more. You don't have depression, so you're not part of this group. We're the the exclusivity of that needs to go away because the DSM five is a subjective tool right. that's used to make order out of chaos.
1: So sorry, I go on a ramp Right, I, but when you're. I get- yeah i'm sorry not not just that but i love this approach is what you're doing is you're doing a mental health approach as opposed to a mental illness approach like yeah. the idea that you have to wait till you fall off a cliff to get help as opposed to how do we treat our mental health like we treat our physical health you go to a doctor on a regular basis for your physical health nobody does that for their mental health
2: and you so so what you're saying is our our chief medical officer dr Andrew Pliener, says what you just said says in a slightly different way but but in lockstep with what you said So take something like heart disease we don't sit on a couch eat nachos all day eat french fries wait for this pain in our jaw and down the right side and then all of a sudden go well i should go to the cardiologist now (laughs) but that's what we're doing with mental health Mm -hmm. so like think for for anyone who's thinking about like why should i go before i feel these things because why are you waiting for a heart attack of the nervous system to happen for you to go and get help. You should be doing stuff that's proactive. And by the way, proactive does not mean you need to spend an hour and a half a day doing these exercises. You build in five minutes here, 10 minutes there, and you learn how to power wash the brain and shut things down so that the nervous system can re-regulate uh, and reset. That's what's needed, right? And and what, what, when, what doesn't happen is you'll appreciate this because you've seen the visual before. Growing up in New York, you know, before you're the age of being able to drive in on your own, you take the train in and out of the city when you're a teenager. So remember, like my friend turning to me at 17, 16, 17 years old, and we're watching either nine in the morning when we go in early or 5:30, 6 at night when we're coming back, and we're seeing train fill with men and women are holding a canister of alcohol with a brown paper bag around it, and their head is like this, and then they're falling asleep and drooling on themselves, basically waiting for the day to be over so they can just get back to their couch and lay there watch tv go to sleep rinse wash repeat and wake up the next day that is mental health that that looks like being tired that is an overwhelm of the system from too much stuff over time and not being able to handle all that and not having the tools and not being equipped and then what does that lead to in terms of brain body that leads to a cancer at 50 years old. That leads to a heart disease at 50, 60 years old. That leads to all these things. And it's it, it breaks your heart to see how that stuff develops because there's ways to proactively work on this that fortifies mental health and ultimately as a result, physical health at the same time.
1: Right, you're talking about getting healthy mental health habits like we get healthy physical habits. We talk about them all the time. We We don't talk about how to have healthy mental habits. There's no nope. prevention. None. Which uh, is crazy. I mean, which is crazy. That's crazy. Using well, the there's crazy. also
2: there's no there's no language right. One of the things that we we created is is this thing called a scale right. So the scale is a continuum, but it's an easier term to use. And so the scale goes thriving, gliding, surviving, fluctuating, struggling, sinking. If I asked you, Doc, how are you doing? You'd go, good. And then we'd go on to the next conversation, or you go, I'm alright. You go on to the next conversation. When we take physical health. When a child in school goes to the nurse, they put a thermometer in their mouth and there's common language, 98.6, 101, low-grade right. fever, 103, high-grade fever. When you step on the scale, like you were talking, when we do the proactive physical health, one year, you're 180 pounds. The next year, you're 200. Doc asks you, why do you think the weight gain happened? What's going on? Let's take a look at your you know, saturated fat intake, right? With mental health, we don't have common language. We have, you're either GAD7, PHQ-9, you're depressed or anxious. Right. We're looking for pathology. We're looking for pathology. And so the scale is an attempt. We have it in schools. We have it in offices to say, let's look at our nervous system states over time and let's see where we're at. When that sympathetic response jumps up, we move to the right on the scale. I was living as a child in what we call either fluctuating or struggling, Mm -hmm. where My mind was constantly going, that ambulance that just rode by my friend's house, that's going to be at my house when I get home. That call I just got on the cell phone where I see caller ID came from my parents, it's because they have to deliver bad, bad news to me. That's living in that perpetual state of threat around you, which eventually leads to the shutdown, which happened with me. But we're not training people to understand that. And to be able right. to recognize that.
1: Right. Not, not just that, but these are things that happen to your siblings. So I don't think people would have perceived it as happening to you.
0: Yeah.
1: And we yeah. all have things that happen to people around us. And the yes. idea of that being stress for us, I don't think people think about that. Like, like as a pediatrician, I don't you know, think about that. How does yeah. the sibling? I mean, we kind of do. Like we might offer support vaguely, but I don't think we understand. I mean, here's an so- extreme example, but still.
2: Well, so so use that as an example, right? So so this being a, an orthodox podcast, I can I can bring up a Hebrew school situation, right? <laughs> so I remember. So so what you're putting into the the something happening with a sibling is a thought that's happening to you as the other sibling watching that happen, right? So your brother's sick, or in the case of anyone else out there, a sibling is dealing with something. Your mind goes to these places at a young age. What happens if my brother dies? Right. What hap- Where does he go? Will I ever see him again, right? So that sympathetic response is growing in my mind at a time when we don't talk about that stuff. Like my par- my dad was the ultimate optimist, right? That's the way that he dealt. Pod's gonna be fine. The, t- the, the medication is gonna be great. It's gonna take a number of years. but So when your dad's speaking to you that way, that's not an a, a invitation for let's discuss how this is impacting you. What questions do you have? How can I help you work through this? It's hold on because things are going to be great, right? Like, and, and you have your own fears, so you hold on to them. So the 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 Hebrew school example is at that time, you know, I'm eight years old. I remember I'm in the library. We had this tiny little library at the Hebrew school, took out a book on Adam and Eve, Okay. And I'm I'm listening, oh, this is how the world started with Adam and Eve. And then my mind goes to, well, what happened before that? And what happened before that? And what happened before that? And I can't get that thought, right? For, an, for a very active mind at the time, I can't get that thought. What happened to the end? Where, where do we go And And now I'm starting to feel claustrophobic. And I'm like, I, and that's all related to the thought of my brother might pass. Right. So I'm trying to think, will I ever see him again? But what does again mean? These are the things that like live inside of us that start to impact our mental health. But because you weren't in a car accident where someone next to you flew through the windshield, your mental health is fine, right? And that's where I think it's so fascinating that the brain takes in all around it and thinks about all the threats. And then in thinking about the threats, then thinks deeper. And that's what starts to build that stress and trauma in the system over time and and that's something we really got to look out for because the kid who's sitting in the back of the room who's doodling but they're being quiet we're like oh that's the good kid that's the well-behaved kid they're fine are they really well-behaved and good or are they just trying to avoid what the the thoughts are that are going on their mind that they want to dampen it and, and make it go away
1: right you can't see it you can't see it and again we're not being proactive here Yep. There are just, so you know, organizations within the Orthodox Jewish community, like High Lifeline that actually yep. support the siblings as well. Yeah. Um. But really important to think about supporting them, not just, you know, with fun activities and stuff like that, but with their with their mental health as they go through this, which I think they do, by the way. Um. But that and not everybody gets that. Right. Right. And it's right. so, so important. The other thing I was thinking of is you were talking about working, and I, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about what you were doing when you were working harder and harder. I'm thinking workaholism, just to summarize it, and as a compensatory.
2: No, we're, you you nailed what workaholism is, right? And I, I just got back from, I'm wearing the shirt, like St. Xavier University, right? Like, the most non-Jewish school, right? Like, <laughs> um, the college, you know, in the NAIA, and I'm working with their athletes. And I, I said to them, you as athletes have workaholism the way that I, as an executive, have had workaholism. So I've said it earlier, but... You could be an accountant, you could be a lawyer, you could be a, a store shop owner, you could be someone who's an athlete out at of college, or you could be me who is a sports executive. If you love what you do every day and it gives you that dopamine hit, you're very lucky, but at the same time, you're also at risk. Mm. Okay. So so what I mean by that is if what mental health is, is this invisible backpack of stuff that we hold behind us right and that and that we're carrying along with us and then we keep going to the well on the thing that allows us to escape the pain and the heaviness of that bag on the one hand it's great that we've got something that we're passionate about and we love but it's having us neglect the other stuff it's the equivalent of not paying attention to that mud that was caking up on me so I did an event with the Miami dolphins where it was a recovery event. And I, I, maybe I offended people. I don't know. I, I think not because I had people, I, you know, the guy who was running the event gets up there and goes, hi, I'm Chris and I'm an alcoholic. And everyone's like, Hey, Chris. And I get up there and I go, I'm Eric and I'm a holic. <laughs> like, I, I didn't plan that. Like I just, and, and people are like, what? And so I give like a little cliff notes version of the story I just shared with you. And I was like, I was a workaholic. And you might think that that's not as maladaptive as the drinking that you all are sober from right now. But guess what? Like where it brought me in terms of how I use it to cope with dampening the emotional pain that I was carrying was probably as bad as any coping mechanism that's out there because I allowed this stuff to build and build and build. And it worked
1: until it didn't.
2: Yes, exactly.
1: Like any drug. Yep.
2: Yep. It work is a drug. Sex right. is a drug. Gambling is a drug. Shopping is a drug. Food is a drug. Right? Like when you do those things in moderation, they're all great. But like we go to the well on them, and and society allows some of those things to be more okay than others.
1: Glorifies it sometimes. Yes. Right. Exactly.
2: Exactly. The the glorification. I mean, that working with the athletes much. Well, Eric, you're the first one in the office and the last one to leave. You're the model. We want everyone to work as hard as you. Where the athlete that comes in and goes, You watch so much game film and you're in the gym longer than anyone else. I'm not okay. Work as hard as you want. But how are you, to your point about scheduling and routine, where are you finding the routine and the scheduling to put those slots in between that hard work so the brain's able to calm down and refresh and restart? We don't think about that. We're an axe that's chopping down trees and we're not sharpening the axe. And we're like, wait a second, but the axe is still working with the level of sharpness that it has, so I don't have to sharpen it anymore. Eventually, the axe stops chopping trees down because it just gets
1: so dull. Right, but I think society looks at us and says, oh, you're producing, do more. Right. You know what i'm thinking of and this is a sports maybe you can it's not your sport but it's i like gymnastics <laughs> and i'm thinking of simone biles sports. i heard somebody talking about that recently and saying like oh you know these these um what it's snowflakes right that that can't uh you know function in the real world and so they just drop out of a competition like look at that so i don't know if you want to comment a, let's to use that
2: a, let's, yes let's use a simone biles example this is why calling it depression and anxiety works against us right so if you read the comments when simone biles pulled out it was well if she had depression why didn't she inform someone before she came to the olympics and give the spot to someone else as if that's how mental health works that you either have it or you don't and then because you have it now you have this thing that either tells you you can play or you can't play not how mental health works what wasn't talked about with simone biles was raped by Larry Nasser and the only one on the team who had been through that. Everyone else was, was young enough now on the team that they hadn't been through that era of, of USA Gymnastics. Secondly, brother was on trial for triple murder. So two of the heaviest things you could be dealing with, she's dealing with going into it. Now you go into the Olympics, the, the load that she's taken on her system of, wow, the arena is empty, but it's usually full because it's covid right now why this feels weird and different and like eyeballs are even feel even more on me because i'm alone in this arena on top of all of these things that have been going on and when you saw her she still tried to push through it she's doing flips and what do we know about mental health well when mental health symptoms start to arise the brain body connection starts right. to go right our ability to have fine motor skills goes away i know that when I'm typing on a computer, this is a lot less athletic than Simone. My right hand legs <laughs> compared to my left hand, that's part of my nervous system feeling dysregulated. And, and where I want to bring that point home is everyone watched that Demar Hamlin situation with the Chicago, with right. the Chicago, with the, with the Buffalo Bills, and and that, and we did a podcast about it the other day, and we were talking about if the NFL had made the wrong decision and made those players play shortly afterwards, what would have happened?
1: They wanted to.
2: Well, the NFL did. I don't know that the players did the NFL. No, that's
1: what I mean. The NFL wanted to, what does that tell you about society?
2: Yes. Okay. So the NFL wanted to, they, they could cover up all they want, but it came over the announcers Mm -hmm. that they're getting five minutes to warm back up.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But
2: what I was going to bring up there was if those men had been asked to play shortly after you would have seen the sloppiest, ugliest football ever. And some people not even be able to get on the field because when the nervous system is overwhelmed like that from the traumatic event that they just saw, and you saw it in the deer in the headlight looks in the eyes, you saw it in the sobbing, in the leaning into one another, they experienced something they never, and this air of invincibility of, I can get injured in a major way, but I can't die on the field that veil got taken away so for everyone who's damning simone biles if you had watched those players after living through traumatic event try to get on that field it would have been awful and guess what they had to take them off the field because one it wasn't the right thing but two that's not the safe thing to do right so for all the macho and i'm i'm a guy who played football for all the macho guys out there who say snowflake and she was you know uh uh, being treated differently than everyone else no she wasn't the nfl had to stop playing the same way she had to come off of uh being a gymnast
1: right she literally did not know where her body was in space they call it the twisties she did not know and it was not safe and it's just unbelievable that we treat people like pawns in the corporate you know commercial world you nailed it you nailed it (laughs) well
2: got a yeah. lot of work to do. we have a
1: lot of work to do I, I we don't have a lot of time i know you have something else and i'm i'm sorry for being late um and this is a long podcast i want you to just talk a little bit about your organization before we stop please but your story oh, is unbelievable and you're such a hero and thank you for what you're doing you are bringing so much important stuff out there in this space it is beyond i'm just like i'm blown away blown away thank
2: you, thank you. um so uh, you know We're an organization that started as a nonprofit, did not take funding because we didn't want to go the way of a Headspace or a comm where it's an easier lift early on when you take funding, but then you become part of the corporate medical industry where Headspace started with a great message of, we're going to teach the world meditation. And then it became, get 10% happier in 10 days guaranteed, right? It's the antithesis of our message of what's the quick fix and how do we get you better? So. What I'm going to share sounds like a lot, and it's wearing a lot of different hats, but it's to try to plant a lot of seeds in a lot of different areas so that we can, as they grow, build this forest of mental health.
1: Right, because we have have to to change the world. There's no other way. We have to change You you have
2: to. You have to reverse engineer this. Yeah. So we have a K through 12 program we call Same Here Schools. We've got a college program, of course, Same Here Sit Downs. A office program, corporate or blue-collar offices, we call it Same Here Safe. We've got a service department program for first responders, military, we call Same Here Service. And then sports teams and leagues, like I, like I was mentioning with the Miami Dolphins, we call it Same Here Sports. In each one of those, we start with four pillars. Foundation of culture change is number one. Changing the lens through which we see this topic away from one and five towards four and five. More towards the experiences of what we have as opposed to labels and looking at mental health across a continuum, instead of it being binary. That's step one. Step or pillar two is establishing common language. So, okay, we now have established that we all have a story and we go all go through challenging life events. How do we help explain and communicate with one another where that impacts us and how that impacts us? That's where we introduce the scale. It's done through posters, through desk charts, and through an app that we have called Same Here Scale, okay? We've got an individual version. We've got a, a, a office version. We've got a teacher version. That enables an openness and communication of where am I at on the scale? Not happy versus sad, but thriving, gliding, surviving, right? And then what's the reason behind it? So we start to tag up events that are going on in our lives that are contributing to where we're at in that scale. So that we're able to see trends over time. And so it tracks it in a chart. That then leads to pillar three, which is what's the science behind why we're moving up and down? It's not because it's this gray cloud above our head, it's just because the vagus tone, the vagal tone changes, tightens up. It's because the amygdala starts to become overfunction, because cortisol starts running throughout our body, because our cells become inflamed, because the wavelengths of cells. Five different wavelengths stop communicating with one another because when we go out of alpha and all of a sudden we're in beta and we're freaking out because the nervous system is in that dysregulated mode, the different parts of the brain can't talk with one another. So that's pillar three. And then pillar four is this concept of star exercises. So stress and trauma, active releasing and rewiring. And we help organizations build a gym for the brain, whether that's a physical gym for the brain where they they learn the different exercises Or it's a virtual one so we we do them online where you go in and it's like a 3d room from those four pillars we have directors of the different programs that live in a school district in an office when i say live three hours a week right 15 hours a month whatever the amount of time is and then start to deliver content and programming around those four pillars so i'll use a very case in point example I would never teach suicide prevention as a first step going into a school or an office because it would be treated like Just Say No for Drugs was when Mm. we at the school. Uh, Suicide's not going to impact me. I'm a happy person. Well, if I lay these four pillars down and I show you how stress and trauma impact all of us, back to my suicidal thought. I told you I'd close the loop on that thought. Where did that thought of swallowing that bottle of pills come from? Because my nervous system was so dysregulated that now all of a sudden I'm having these irrational error messages that I can't stop. And guess what's making those messages even stronger? Me freaking out that I'm having those messages.
1: Right. It's too far down the road. It's not preventative,
2: really. It's not preventative. But if we give a heads up to people what self-harm messages feel and sound like, not giving very specifics, but it makes you feel like you want to harm yourself. That's a maladaptive coping mechanism. Guess what? That's something that you can overcome that when you find help in the moment, it feels like you're in a dark tunnel, but there's people on the outside who can see wider, can help you get to that place where you start seeing wider again. Now your mind goes to a different place. Yes, I feel this right now, but oh, I was told that if I get help, I can get out of this place, right? So, so we have something called Lifesaver. So, L I F E is almost like the stop, drop, and roll of of suicide prevention that we're teaching
1: in schools. Oh my gosh! So, so and this would really that, help prevent drug. I would guess that this would also even be really truly preventative against drug addiction, that's, instead of you know, just say no program, or, but, or
2: dare or
1: all those other programs.
2: Chairman of our board is a, a guy named Dr. John Rosa. Italians and Jewish people are are caught from the same cloth, right? <laughs> italian guy who's constantly talking <laughs> with hands he's surrogate to the white house the last three administrations on the opioid epidemic he, that's why we're you know uh 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 at the hip every day i mean he and i are on calls all the time because drug drug addiction overdose these numbers thirty thousand more last year than the year before highest on record these this is mental health right trauma addiction suicide overdose Opioid, all these terms that we hear that get treated in each story like it's a different train wreck. Right. They're all cousins living in the same house. And until we as a society connect the dots that these things are all together, this this the the, the concept doesn't change. It becomes who are the addicts? Who are the people in right. recovery? Who are the people who have mental illness? Right. And that's what the powers that be in the pharmaceutical industry and elsewhere want. What's the quick fix for the one thing that you have that's different from everyone else? And
1: this that's stuff takes more time. Honestly, it takes more time. It absolutely. It's an edge. And, and, and so prevention deep, is so not deep. prevention is not like a huge money maker.
2: It's not a huge money maker, and so that's why we're planting all these seeds. Five areas of programming, the apps, the star rooms that we're creating, and then I'll just I'll I'll kind of close it on. We oh my have gosh, a we're going so late. We've got a we've got a group called um, Regional Psychiatry that is using. The concept of health coaching up to the psychiatrist back to what we were talking about that there's no starting point right. we want to be the concierge for people where people come and go let me learn let me be educated on what's going on when i feel like this so i can take some choices and options do i want to do the emdr do i want to do the Havening? do i want to do the tapping what might work for me and my situation i want a lot of different tools Doctor, you can take me through these different ones and show me what might work for me, as opposed to you try the med and you wait for the Wizard of Oz to fix you. I want to be a more active participant in my healing process. Wait,
1: right. did you talk at all about educating uh, mental health professionals?
2: That's, so we have a Same Here Psych Alliance, and then we have a Same Here Doctors Alliance, which okay. is functional medicine and, and holistic uh, practitioners and all holding hands. We actually have, let last, fun. last thing I promise I'll share. We have a course that'll be coming out at the end of January, 17 hours of Dr. Vincent Folletti, who was the chair of the ACE adverse Childhood Experience Study, Dr. Stephen Porges, who invented Mm -hmm. polyvagal theory Mm -hmm. of how the nervous system shifts, and then 15 different practitioners of these different non-medication healing modalities to talk about the science of how the nervous system starts to get affected and why these modalities help. And are different tools in your toolbox to be able, and that's something that a parent can take a course on. That's something a mental health professional can take a course on. And there's an accreditation on it, whether it's counted for CMEs, right? Is always a, <laughs> a craft Wait, fee. is this, is
1: this, is there a, a um a fee for this course?
2: Um, there will be a fee, you know, only because we had to compensate the doctors in terms of right. putting it all together. So recouping that, but everything that we make goes back into the nonprofit that then now fuels things like being able to do more programs in schools more programs in offices so so it's not like we have a brother sister for profit nonprofit the for profit piece that has the app that has the courses in it that whatever revenue that's taken from that gets fed back into the nonprofit we could go into underserved communities we could supplement schools Great. that only have a certain amount of funding and you know it's 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 a way to keep the engine going because to your point education And laying foundation takes such a long time.
1: Right. And this really needs to be available to everybody. It can't just be available to people with more money.
2: Well, look, when I say it costs something, it's it's peanuts compared to what it costs. Yeah.
1: Right. I'm just looking at your overall programming. You did not just create something to bring in a bunch of money for your organization. You created a nonprofit because we want our whole world to be healthier we all I would are do this for, if,
2: if if I was able to subsist on zero dollars, I would do this every day for zero dollars. my my board hates me sometimes because I agree to go out and do the present you got people making 15, 20 thirty thousand dollars on presentations and I go out like you don't have anything or you've got a hundred bucks to be able to donate to the nonprofit sure, I'll do it <laughs> you know so um it's it's a balance you know but but I I I'm mission driven more than anything. that's where I want to see change happen.
1: You are absolutely amazing, and we could talk all day. And I can't believe we got to ten. After ten, even though I said for sure we're going to be done before that, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. How can we find you?
2: So a number of different places. The website is Same Here Global. S a m e h e r e. As in you and I are the same. So Same Here mm-hmm. uh, Org. And then most of our activity happens on our social channels, where we've developed a significant community. It's really awesome to see people sharing. So. Instagram, if you use Instagram, it's at same here, then there's an underscore before global. So at Mm -hmm. same here, underscore global, Mm -hmm. um, Twitter, same thing at same here, underscore global. We share Mm -hmm. everything that, you know, thousands of people coming together in the tens of thousands, I should say, sharing stories and being open and being supportive of one another to make people not feel isolated, and feel like they're in it together. It's, it's a beautiful place to come and see uh, hand handholding happen.
1: That is amazing. Do you have a YouTube channel?
2: so same everything is same here global okay. right and,
1: and, and youtube so, okay yeah, facebook yeah. presumably
2: yep i don't I'm, I'm not as active on youtube as i should be i'm more active on instagram
1: okay and I do a lot of people don't have instagram they, but they do the other thing that's why
2: but facebook if they want to find us on facebook mm-hmm. we have same here global so seventy thousand folks there that are all together wow. so yeah it's nice oh my
1: gosh I, I could i could talk to you all day but i know you had an appointment at 10. That's yes. yeah. after. So I have to thank you so so much for doing this with me. May you go from strength to strength. You're amazing. What you've started is amazing. All the people you're doing it, you're just changing the world. It's I am so honored to have been able to do this with you today. Likewise.
2: No, I, I appreciate it. I'm sorry I spoke so much. I I'm passionate about it. So so next time we'll have more back and forth.
1: There you <laughs> go. We got to do part two. That's what it is. I'm not done yet. I just got started.
2: Yep, exactly. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Likewise. Talk to you in a bit. Be well.
0: Thanks for listening to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. For more information, check out our Instagram at joma underscore org check out our website www.joma.org that's jowm org or email us at healthjoma.org at